Welcome to Add Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas. This is the Share Our Strength podcast about people who are changing the world. I'm your host, Billy Shore. It's amazing when you realize how central food is to so many things that we care about. It affects our health. We see kids with nutritionally related problems, many of them overweight even though they're undernourished. It affects our ability to learn. She had to make sure she had lunch in the classroom because at the end of the day, that was going to be all she got. Food security affects our strength as a nation. Within arm's reach are, are people who are hungry, and there is a anxiety and a stigma attached to that. We're talking to you today from Boston, and we've got two guests, both great friends of mine for a long time, um, and really amazing people. I'm going to ask each of you, and I'll tell you who they are. This is Karen Akunowitz, from the executive chef from Myers and Chang, an amazing, amazing chef who is a James Beard nominee, is known to a lot of the country for being on Top Chef, and has been involved with Share Our Strength and our anti-hunger work, as well as a number of other important community causes. And also with us, Eric Schwartz, founder of Citizen Schools and now founder of the College for Social Innovation. He's got a track record that, of course, is deeper than that. I'm going to ask each of you to say a few words. But first, let me just say, Karen, Eric, welcome. Thanks for being on Ad Passion and Stir. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Billy. You are both people who are deeply engaged in community. And let's talk about uh, where that came from, where that started. Karen, I want to start with you. Um, I always think of restaurants as places where community is created almost in the ways that you were just describing how people have come in over the last few days and wanted to be together in that way. Um, also, every time I've been to Myers and Chang, you were personally there <laughs> cooking, uh, which also gives, you know, which I think is a good feeling knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the person whose food you love is there cooking your meal all the time. Um, but uh, what was your path to that? I know you worked in a number of other restaurants in Boston, um, and then you spent some time in Italy, but you've gotten to the point where you're now at the helm of one of the most uh, successful restaurants here. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like my path is. I was talking about this recently. I, I feel like my path has been definitely not not a straight line. Um, my undergraduate degree is in social work, with a minor in public health and a minor in women's studies. Um, and I was um, applying to get my MSW, and um, a friend of mine said, "You know, you never talk about what you're going to do when you're a therapist or a social worker or what population you want to work with, but you always talk about what you'll do when you have your own restaurant. Um, so I I had worked in restaurants for a really long time and ended up enrolling in culinary school instead of... Um, instead of getting a master's instead in Instead of social getting work. a master's degree in social okay. work. I then married somebody with a master's degree in social work. So we, we like to think our... Our values and uh, about those things are aligned, and we're you know trying to do the good work. And when did the l- kind of light bulb go on for you that um, that said I can really cook? This is something <laughs> I can do. I, I'm <laughs> waiting for it still. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just you know, you just keep running. Um, I didn't grow up cooking. I don't have one of those great stories about about uh, you know. Like I was cooking at my grandmother's knee. I didn't start cooking until I was in my 20s, until I lived alone. I was in my first apartment by myself, and and I was, you know, I always say I was cooking um, to impress a girl, to try and get um, a girl to go on a, on a date with me, and I told her I could cook, and she should come over, and I really couldn't at all. And I went out and bought a cookbook <laughs> and said, hey, come over and have dinner with me, and like found a recipe and and made a, a pasta dish. I made puttanesca. And I thought, oh, and I, I think this is like magic. Mm-hmm. And I can do this for somebody else. 
And um, and that was kind of that was like the aha moment. Uh, I don't know that I could really actually cook then, but I definitely I thought I could. <laughs> well, you can now. Um, Eric, we met in presidential politics. It was some um, more than 30 years ago now. Uh, ancient history for a lot of folks in the Gary Hart campaign. But um, since then, and you were kind of a you were, you were a field organizer in a way in that campaign. And it's uh, something that in a way you've uh, certainly evolved, but never left in terms of that commitment to creating change. Well, the pivot point in my life was actually the Senate campaign when we first met in 1980. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, Senator Hart was running for Senator re-election running for after re-election, his first term. Uh, in Colorado. And I was a pretty privileged, but also pretty aimless and pretty struggling, uh, deeply struggling 19-year-old kid who'd kind of drunk my way through my freshman year at college. And uh, my dad came to me in the spring of that year and said, you know, I I know six U.S. senators because he had had a big job in Washington who were running for re-election. What was your dad's job in Washington? Uh, he had been the, the chair of the church committee investigating the FBI and CIA. Okay. So we got to work closely with Walter Mondale, with Gary Hart, with Frank Church, with John Culver, and a bunch of other terrific people. And he said, Eric, you could go work with uh, McGovern or Church or Bai or, or this guy Gary Hart in Colorado. I knew nothing about any of them. But my girlfriend was going to Colorado College, and I said, that's an easy choice. I'm definitely going to go work for Gary Hart. It sounds like a great idea, Dad. I'll, I'll do it. Um, so I went out. I knew you two had something in common, <laughs> both, both making choices to impress girls. Exactly. Yes. Uh, went out in that summer, and then it, it was originally a summer unpaid internship, and it turned into through Election Day because I loved it so much. It changed my life. I'm looking back on it. I built more mentors, including you, Billy built more knowledge, built a network through that experience that totally changed my life, developed a sense of purpose. Um, I loved it. I learned more than every course I took in college put together. Um, And that's really been the cause of my life since, is how do you put together experiences and relationships for young people um, to change lives? And in reality, I had access to that because I had a lot of privilege. My dad and mom were able to fund an unpaid internship for me for four plus months. They knew not one but six U.S. senators and could kind of give me some options and choices. And it gave me a chance to change my life. And what College for Social Innovation today is about uh, is about making that possible for eventually millions of college students who may be first-generation college students, low-income college students, but make it normal, make it possible for them as part of earning their degree that they can take a semester or a couple semesters, team up uh, with great social entrepreneurs, team up with great change-making organizations have a mentor, do real-world inspiring work that helps them find themselves, find their passion, uh, and build skills and network that they need to, to get ahead. You know, for that's just the last year I've been working yeah. on, on College for Social Innovation. 14 students were hoping to, to build it big. And, you know, the citizen school's work was the same idea with middle school kids. So, uh, so talk, talk a little bit about, though, where the spark came for that. So you were at City Year. You were working at City yeah. Year, which is this great kind of, Urban Peace Corps, in a in a way, where people have a young people have a chance to be engaged in community service. And then you decided to create your own effort that also yeah. engaged young people in a different way. So I'd love to hear about how you built, how and why you built citizen schools, and then why you decided to evolve from that to yeah. the the College on Social Innovation. I mean, City Year was just this incredible education where I, I was sort of apprenticing with Alan Casey and, and Michael Brown, who are extraordinary social entrepreneurs, and spent, you know, four or five years, they're each dog years, and, and just was able to make a big impact and help inspire the AmeriCorps program. Um, 
I also got bitten by the bug of wanting to kind of follow my own dream. Uh, and I had this dream around moving education out of the classroom into the community and giving young people a chance to learn through experiences and relationships more than facts and lectures. Uh, and so the vision was, and my mom had been a teacher. I grew up watching my mother as a teacher in East Harlem and just loving her ability to do that really successfully. But I had this instinct that me and millions of other people didn't necessarily want to become full-time teachers, but whether it was cooking, and we had several chefs who were early citizen teachers with citizen schools, or engineers from Google, or journalists, which I had been for a while. The idea of tapping into the strengths, which is to share our strength theme, tapping into the strengths of average citizens, asking them to volunteer a couple hours a week to teach a team of kids how to do what they do. So we had kids you know, working with great chefs to cook gourmet meals and organize a banquet for 20 people at their housing development. Uh, we had engineers working with kids to not just play video games, but design video games. Carpenters, you know, working with kids to build uh, toolboxes and benches. And uh, it, was, it was just an amazing opportunity to see the lights go on for kids as they move from being consumers to creators and to producers uh, and to see the lights go on for adults who might be in a job at Fidelity or Google or a restaurant where it's kind of getting a little old hat and, and they're not inspired by it as much as they once were. And then they see the light go on for kids as they share their skills and passion with 11, 12, 13 year old kids. And that was life changing for them. And, then uh, they, well. and they find it basically a deeper meaning in their own work in some ways the way I think you were talking about Karen right oh. I mean as much as you love to cook it's not just about cooking yeah and it's 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 not just enough I mean with cooking it's such a tangible thing that you can um, you make something you give it to somebody they hopefully like it and and you get rewarded um, in that way um, but I, I you know listening to you Eric um, it remind I always talk about putting soup back in your pot that we all have this soup pot that's inside of us. And you give, you give a little soup here, you give someone a cup of soup, you give somebody a bowl of soup. But when you're, um, and hopefully you're not giving out so much that your, your soup burns, burns down to the bottom, but when you're giving out a little bit of that soup and you're getting back from it, um, that's the really valuable stuff. And for me, what a great experience for young people in, in your program. But I immediately thought of all of the, the adults, the people who were teaching, and how much that can give back to them. And, and in feeling, especially in times when we're all feeling insecure or nervous or, or wondering where the light is going to come from, and wondering what you can do. Um, what can I do to make something better? What can I do? I'm just one person um, to sort of make an impact. Um, something like that where you can give a few hours, um, I think has huge benefits and rewards on, on both ends. And it occurs to me that, um, and, we, and we worked with volunteers from all these different fields, finance, engineering, et cetera, but a lot of the ones I remember best were in food. And you know Maslow's hierarchy, food is at one end of it as like a basic need for nutrition. It's also though at the other end of that hierarchy of needs around community. Um, and one thing we did in our early days, I think the first five or six years we did this every semester and in the summer, we had a day called Food Day where we had I think 600 students one, one summer uh, in teams of 10 
go create something from scratch in one day. These are all students all at citizen schools. 10, 11, 12-year-old kids at students. citizen schools. Yeah. And one kid would go out to a, a farm in Lexington and pick blueberries and make a blueberry pie. Uh, I would take a group out into Boston Harbor and fish and then stop by James Hook Lobster Company and buy a few lobsters and make a seafood chowder. Another group would go down to the, you know, the Haymarket and buy halal meat and make a stew. Yeah. And then we would come together. And the parents, who many of them from the Caribbean, from Eastern Europe, from Asia, from Africa, um, first, second generation immigrants in, in most cases, they would come and bring their own food. And just the community that got built and the ways in which both the young people and the parents were able to see themselves as producers and creators was extraordinary. Uh, and then the people from Fidelity and Google were there as well, and they felt so enriched uh, by the chance to see, you know, be in an environment where it wasn't just sort of the rich white people bringing assets to the table, it was everyone. What comes next for each of you? You both obviously have an ambition to be having a, a pretty powerful impact. Um, do you continue to do that at Myers and Chang? Is there a second in Myers and Chang? Is there another Karen Akunowitz and Joanne Chang uh, venture in the offing? <laughs> um, well, we, you know, we always hope, as you know, there are so many more flower bakeries um, that Joanne Chang and Christopher Myers are opening, which is really exciting for our family, um, for our restaurant family. Um, and Joanne Chang and I just finished writing the Myers and Chang cookbook. Um, so we just finished Myers and Chang at Home. It's going to be published in September of 2017 by Houghton Mifflin, which we're really, really excited, excited about. Um, that will come with our 10-year anniversary at Myers and Chang. And Eric, the College for Social Innovation, you're, uh, you're currently working with you said relatively small number of students small number of colleges but you also said you see millions uh, being involved in the future what's the path to that yeah I mean I think we're the first three years is going to be incremental growth 14 this semester maybe 25 30 next semester 50 60 the following fall um, uh, and I think once we can prove this with a few hundred students in Boston coming from half a dozen or a dozen different public and private colleges I think it just makes so much intuitive sense uh, from the student perspective. It's a chance to stay on track to graduation, zero extra costs, build your network, build your sense of passion, build your skills. From the college perspective, you're providing students with what they want, which is experiential learning. And from the nonprofit and government agency perspective, it's a talent pipeline that allows you access to more diverse and better talent. So I, I do think it can scale both through our own direct work, growing to other cities, growing in Boston, and coaching others how to do similar things. And we can hopefully help uh, contribute to a movement that makes experiential learning, high-quality internship-based learning the norm in higher education. You still take courses on Shakespeare or economics or sociology or other things, but you know one or two of your eight semesters uh, that you're in full credit for are this kind of experiential learning. And, you know, I, I've been doing this now for a little more than a year, um, but I've been in the social sector for 25 plus years, and uh, I'm super excited to spend the next, you know, 10 plus years building this and increasingly investing in young people and helping to breathe into a next generation of problem solvers, uh, both a really deep sense of optimism and possibility uh, and sense of joy around coming together with other people like them and different from them to drive uh, systemic change in the world. Now, as, as, as we wrap up, um, what advice would you have for young people in the sense that uh, you each basically 
blazed your own trail. Uh, you took you, you the, one of the first things you said, Karen, was I didn't follow a linear path. You kind of you kind of made your own way. And Eric, you've been kind of what today might be called a serial social entrepreneur, starting one organization after another. That takes a lot of I think on both of your parts, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of um, kind of knowing who you are. A lot of just persistence. Um, and there's a lot of pressures on particularly people coming out of school today to do just the opposite, which is to fall into line and to get a job. And they've got, you know, there's the mortgage and there's the college loans and there's everything else. So how do you, what advice do you have for people that really want to do that? I'm sure there's people who are listening to this that are inspired and say, gosh, I want to, I want to do something like Karen and Eric did, but how do they do it? Um, I think that, I mean, for me, I feel now at this point in my life, I, I do know who I am and I do have faith in what I'm doing and I'm, I'm clear that I'm, that I'm on the right path. But when I was in school, when I was 19, 20, 21, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and I think that we all feel, you know, as, as a younger person, you feel that pressure to do the thing that your parents expect or to do the thing that society expects or, or whatever it is. And I think one of the things is reaching, reaching really far down um, and thinking about what you really want. Um, and when you find that thing that almost feels uncomfortable, those butterflies in your stomach, that, that feeling of fear. Um, I've done a lot of things in my life based on fear and fear of regret, fear of not doing something that might have been a, an amazing opportunity, but that didn't feel safe to me. That thought, oh, that's not, you know, that's taking a chance, that's taking a leap. Um, and, and finding those th- things and figuring out how to move forward with them. I would just, that's awesome and beautiful uh, words. I, I would add that cha- it's trite to say that change is a constant, but it's true. Um, I worry that a lot of students today are preparing for yesterday's economy, not right. tomorrow's economy. Um, there aren't going to be a lot of jobs where you're sort of safe just because you've sort of taken the right major and built a set of skills that you know how to follow certain rules. Those, those days are over. Those right? days are yeah. over. So whether you're an entrepreneur or an intrapreneur, everyone has to learn how to be creative, how to work on teams, how to solve problems where no clear roadmap uh, or playbook or rule book exists. Um, and that involves taking chances. It involves kind of going out there and trying stuff. Um, and, you know, so no time like when you're in college or right after college to do a bunch of different things. You know, that's why internships, I think, can be can be so great. The other this advice I would share is to root your life in optimism. Um, very few good things come out of pessimism. And very many great things come out of optimism. Um, Very many possibilities. Like you, this research on creativity, it's very hard to create a new innovation in technology, a new innovation in finance, a new innovation in the social sector if you don't believe that change is possible. Um, And if there's anything, the, the thing I'm most sad about with the recent election is that so many people, particularly so many young people, said everything's negative, everything's going in a bad direction, and so we're kind of giving up on things, and therefore we're not going to vote. When in reality, in my adult lifetime, you know, poverty around the world, has extreme poverty, has gone from 50% to 9%. Uh, in the last five years, we've created marriage equality in this country and starting to create it around the world. Um, the progress is palpable and huge, and amidst big problems, we're making incredible progress. 
And we have to lean into that. We have to trust that. We have to believe that. We have to internalize that. And then think about how do we allow that to give us confidence in our own lives and in our society's life to kind of move forward based on knowledge that while, we've, while things are very imperfect, we're making progress and we can make even more. Well, our decision to wrap up this conversation is a comma, not a period. There's more Add Passion and Stir every Wednesday at 1 o'clock. We release another episode on iTunes. Uh, I want to thank you both for being with us today. Terrific conversation. Karen Akunowitz, thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Billy. I appreciate it. And Eric Schwartz, great to be with you again, buddy. Great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I'm Billy Shore. This is Add Passion and Stir. The Share Strength community believes that everyone can share in the global fight against hunger and poverty, and that in these shared strengths, lie sustainable solutions. Today, Share Our Strength focuses these strengths on making no kid hungry a reality in America. Add Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Carrie Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Add Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhull. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Add Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.